listener. We thought episode one was solid, but the boss reckons Sam Charlwood and I were too nice. A couple of TV blokes rolling out the noddies and smiles, so here to turn up the heat. Episode two, show us how it's all done, is Mike Sinclair. What does your business card say these days, sir? Uh, grumpy old man, basically. <laughs> That's where it starts. And, uh, yeah, I, I might have a, a title that goes something to do like editor-in-chief or director of content or something. But basically, uh, it's my fault that you and Sammy were just too nice, so I've come back to redress the balance Bang an automotive the shot job. <laughs> okay. All part of a cool new suite of car sales pods right here on Listener. The showroom, if you've not heard it before, is a little like an audio dealership, but for kind of every brand of car you can think of, from new releases, head-turning used car yarn, some Straight talk around developments in the marketplace and industry whispers as well from the people with a pure love for it who, like me, have a few Ks on the clock, some of us. Um, can we unpack a bit of the stuff in the trunk of this episode, little tease of what's coming up, including the German car that lives up to that crap cliche we roll out from time to time. This thing really is, really is a race car for the road, isn't it? It is absolutely. It is the race car for the road, if you ask me, so... Looking forward okay. to talking about that one. Have you got an unpopular opinion? I've always got an unpopular opinion. <laughs> Which one do you want me to roll out? We wanted to generate some discussion, Sinkers, so hold on to that. Is there a bit of a change of look for one iconic brand in the sense of, you know, is it kind of an admission that their stylist went too far with previous models? Is that a subject of discussion today too? Well, absolutely it is. And, I, and let's put it this way. We'll be sticking our nose into other people's business. <laughs> uh, which car owners are most likely to give their cars a name? We have done some research on this. Uh, there is a used car you may need to sell a house for, but this thing is stunningly beautiful. We're going to talk about that as well, aren't we? I think we might be needing to sell your house and my house and a couple of other, and maybe maybe a couple of other people's houses to afford this one. I'm not top end of town, Mike. I don't know where, how much money we'll get in the bank for that. Now, the new gen muscle car that's set to race in Australia next year broke cover at Bathurst. You know, traditionally we call it the Australian Touring Car Championship. We know it as supercars these days. This thing looks cool. Yeah, Team Blue's going to have uh, something really, really good to cheer for next year, aren't they? They sure are. That and a whole lot more. It's all ahead right here on The Showroom. First up, our major launch of the month, the latest 992 generation Porsche 911 GT3 RS. I'm is, excited. Oh, I'm excited too. I'm this excited. Thing is, <laughs> it is off the scale good and we can't play favourites here, but over time, like I wanted to buy one years ago, I foolishly didn't. The price of used Porsche 911s went through the roof. Anybody who loves high-performance cars, again, you know, you maybe it's you're either a Ferrari lover or a Porsche lover. If you've got any sense, you're a Porsche lover because the thing will run every time you want it to start. <laughs> so I can't wait to talk about this car. I'm, I'm looking at the videos that we've created on it and I'm wishing and under, can't understand why I let anybody else test it. A proper race car level of aero support, including DRS, capable of something like 860 kilos of downforce, all sorts of adjustability, multi-stage traction control, adjustable diff and dampers. So with us 
to talk about this this kind of track-focused street legal weapon is the CEO of Porsche Cars Australia, Daniel Smollinger, who has worked now for the legendary German mark for 18 years and up until last year was the VP of marketing for them in China. Daniel, welcome. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. It's great to have you with us. Where does the GT3 RS fit in the whole 911 hierarchy? Well, it, it definitely fits um, in, the, in the top of the range. But I think it is important uh, to understand that for us, top of the range, there's not one single car that leads the hierarchy because obviously you all know the 911 Turbo S, which is also top of the range, <laughs> um, but with a, with a slightly different uh, focus. So, no, definitely with, with the GT3 RS, um, we brought the bigger brother to the GT3. We all know the GT3 was already like bringing it to the next level. And with the GT3 RS, it is important to understand the RS badge is something very special in the Porsche world. So, so this, this one, this generation, it really has taken it to another level. So can you just outline some of the things that have changed? I mean, anybody who's seen a photo of this car just understands it is absolutely next level. Yes, absolutely. So with the RS, RS stands for Rennsport, and Rennsport basically means motorsport. The whole development is derived from our pure motorsport cars, the 911 RSR and the GT3R. So you can see many of the features brought into this road legal car, which is something very special for our engineers. It is all about the aerodynamics with this car, because with this aerodynamics, with the active aerodynamics, we can reach a totally new level of track performance. Can you talk about some of those active aerodynamic elements? Because it, yeah, you know, it it is very very race car derived. Yeah, the, the challenge with the aerodynamics is actually the more aerodynamic you have, the slower the car is. So the 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 sweet spot is actually to find the right balance. And with the former cars, you needed to decide prior to going on the track what kind of setup you want to have. And with this new generation. The car actually is doing it by himself or you as a driver can actively steer and adjust it while driving. So you have basically the best of all worlds. You have the top speed with the DRS as we know it from the Formula One. At the same time, you have maximum downforce in the corners, which brings it to a next level performance when it comes to track timing. And how does it do that, Daniel? Is it elements that move on the car? Are they? Can you describe what it does? Well, basically every single part of the car contributes to this aerodynamics. So you have it in the front of the car where you have um, a special single radiator in the center, in the front center of the car, directly derived uh, from motorsport, from the RSR. At the same time, the rear wing is obviously something you can immediately recognize with hydraulic adjustment of the wing. Um, where you can steer the downforce in a way that it helps you while braking, it helps you in cornering, it gives you this top speed on the long straight. Rusty, I don't know whether you've seen photos of this car, but it is just like, you know, what Daniel's describing there, he's put it beautifully into words, but just that, those moving elements, the amount of air management around the front of the car. The, the nostrils sinkers kind of hit you at the at the very beginning, don't they, at the, the very front of the car and the way that it effectively uh, channels air and heat uh, around the car. And I, the the massive back wing, it's it's unmistakable, isn't it? The next stage that this has gone to and what it what it does. And Daniel, I think the car is a lot wider than the traditional GT3. It's a, a turbo S body. It starts exactly. with a turbo S body. 
Um, and that's that's the special thing. It is a Turbo S body. At the same time, from the Turbo S, we know that side air intakes actually should bring air to the engine, not with this model. So we use the side air intakes to cool the brakes, and the air intake is actually in the center of the back below the wing. Plus, it's, everything is basically carbon fiber. It is just amazing how the engineers developed this car to a level where we have never been before on a road legal car. And that, that's, I think, it, it might sound like normal, but to bring this technology on a road legal car is actually a lot of know-how that goes into into the development. Yeah, it, it is truly an amazing looking car. But, but we talked about the engine a little bit before. The, the focus is not necessarily on the engine, but it still has a hell of an engine, naturally aspirated, so not turbocharged. Exactly. It revs up to 9,000 uh, uh, revs. And, and if you have driven a car that revs up like this, I mean, you get goosebumps only by thinking of it. <laughs> um, uh, not talking about the, the, the engine sound and, and all that. So it is, it, is, um, it is very special. Of course, there are a lot of questions. Why is it not turbocharged? Porsche is, is not going always for the biggest engine or the craziest uh, setup. We are always looking at the concept of the car and then adjust it accordingly and put the right components into it so that it perfectly serves the concept of the car. And that's why we have a naturally aspirated four-liter engine. Daniel, the natural line of questioning then is what's been the reaction from Aussie Porsche buyers here and how many are going to come down under to Australia? Um, well, the feedback from media and from the customers is, is amazing. Everybody is celebrating uh, this car. We did the media launch in, in Silverstone some days ago and, and the feedback was overwhelming. At the same time, the overwhelming feedback also comes uh, when it comes to order intake. Um, so um, there's a very, very high demand. I mean, we try to match the demand. But I think we can already say now that the supply will not reach the level that we can give a car to everyone who wants one. Rusty, that means I think either you or I get one, but not both. Okay, fair enough. We'll, we'll have a tug of war over that sink. And they're built on a totally separate production line, yeah? Yeah, well, that's that's the, the special thing about this car. So they start in the regular production line and then at one point in time they go into the special areas where the special parts are fitted. And, and this makes this car so special. Mm-hmm. That's the myth around uh, around this car. Where can we go with this car? I think this is what Sinkers and I have had this discussion off air today. But how can you continue to Im- improve this thing? And I, I think Sinkers' words were like, you know, surely all of the, the tricks have been, have been used. Where can you take this car from here, Daniel? I think that's the central question asked since uh, 60 years. So <laughs> since, the, since the introduction of the 911, how can you push the limits like with every generation? Um, the answer is, is, in the end, it is it is a team approach. And I think this is something um, very special. So in Weissach, where the car is developed, where the R&D department sits, they all work towards um, a common goal um, with every single model. So they know exactly in which direction they want to develop it. And then there's not much fighting about, is it now everyday usability or is it track performance? They all fully understand what the car should deliver. And then they work very strongly as a team. And, and if you go to Weissach, if you speak to the engineers, 
you can feel this immediately and it, it is just magic. It's great stuff. Daniel, thank you very much for coming in today. The the reaction from the reveals being huge. We know there's lots of energy uh, around this cars. Lots of our, our listeners are, are, uh, are asking about it. And we have no doubt that, uh, that the new GT3 RS will get snapped up very quickly here in Australia. To you and the team, thanks for, for talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Time now for a little segment we like to call Unpopular Opinions. I need to get that full voiceover guy thing. Uh, Unpopular Opinions. Uh, Stuff that goes against the grain, born of observations we've made in the automotive landscape, but majority rules don't necessarily apply. Right, Sinkers? It is time for your Unpopular Opinion. Australian families need to stop buying bloody utes. Oh, no. If we had a switchboard in here, like a talkback radio show, it would be lighting up about now. I mean, these things have become the family planner, the the old station wagon, haven't they? They are the thing. Well, the point is they're not a station wagon. They are a ute. They have room. They were designed to take pigs to market. (laughs) And occasionally used for, you know, for family use. They've become a default purchase and it's just not right. They are not as comfortable. They are not as safe. They're not as economical. You know, what happened to the good old station wagon? I'll tell you what happened to it. It can't cope with all the crap you need as a family now, all the stuff we think we need when we hit the road. Well, I I don't agree because actually if you – the fact of the matter is unless you have – a particular thing that fits into the tray of a ute and can fit under a, the lockable cover that some of them have, you're actually worse off than you are with a conventional wagon. I mean, you go shopping, you're not going to put a dozen eggs in the back of the ute. Well, you might, but you'll end up with an omelette when you get home, <laughs> an uncooked omelette. What's the answer? Are you suggesting a switch back in popularity to the wagon? The wagon might make a comeback. Well, look, I think there are some vehicles out there that make sense. So there's a couple of the ute based wagons, you know, Ford Everest comes to mind that are starting to come out again. And, you know, and the latest version is pretty impressive. But, you know, I can't, still can't get over the fact that a simple, something like a Skoda Octavia Scout or something like that, a high-riding conventional wagon, that's the choice Australian families should be buying. Right, Greg Rust, Mr. Nice Guy, what's your <laughs> unpopular opinion? What, this the lamingtons don't have enough coconut on them? or? <laughs> Government has got it wrong. Advanced driver training is worth it. Yeah, 100% agree. Your unpopular opinion is quite popular with me, Rusty. I think yeah. there's a, a lot of cases now where there's a perception that advanced driver training makes particularly young drivers more confident. In fact, mm. my experience is when you explain to them the challenges out there, they're actually more aware and they can learn to use that technology. Even as much as you know, anti-lock brakes. Unless you've actually felt how they work, then uh, you're not you're not as safe as you could be. So here's a little bit of data that caught my attention. Right, so September fatalities on our roads went up in every state except South Australia and Western Australia relative to 2021. No surprises there because we COVID, less cars on the road, and so on. New South Wales year to date, uh, 191 deaths. It was 179 last year. Victoria 163 versus 144. Queensland, 202 versus 189. I mean, to me, we are doing a disservice to every one of those families that have lost a loved one by just accepting that this is par for the course. It isn't. Whether it's 
older drivers who need retesting or whether it's better training for our younger drivers. To your point about this whole notion of does it empower young drivers and stuff, I've never subscribed to that either. The formation of that opinion at a government level is actually based, I think, mate, on a bit of old data, really. It's not current or accurate or or it needs updating, doesn't it? Yeah, look, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I think as far as I'm aware, there's no recent research that looks into that in any sort of depth. And I I think that's one of those areas that can really be improved upon. I mean, typically a lot of um, road safety decisions are made on the short term. Mm. I think we need to look at a longer term approach to some of these things, particularly this one particularly around the damage that's been done to our roads as well in the wake of all the the heavy rains. You know, having a good skill set is so important when it comes to this stuff. Have you got an unpopular opinion on cars, motoring, maybe something that your mates just reckon is dead set wrong? Don't worry, we'll listen to you. We might humour you, but we'll listen. Uh, Big hello to all of those that are in Parliament House listening to. What is your unpopular opinion? Hit us up, podcast at carsales.com.au. On to our showroom hot topic for this ep, it's BMW and the release of the new M2. And if you happen to be in Melbourne at Motor Classica in early October, you would have been among the first just about anywhere on the planet to get a sneak peek of the second generation M2 ahead of its world debut. So to chat a bit more about it, we've got in the studio with us BMW Australia's Head of Product and Market Planning. Brendan Michelle joins us. Welcome. Thank you, Rusty. Fantastic to be here. Hi, Mike. It's um, Brendan. I think Rusty alluded or talked about that, you know, Motor Classica debut. We must have been among the first outside the factory to even see that car. That must be hugely exciting for you guys, but also, uh, you know, just shows how important Australia is to BMWM. Yeah, that's right, Mike. Uh, we were able to to secure a, a a pre-production model of the of the new M2 and bring it out to Australia in time for Motor Classica. M models here in Australia are very popular. We have one of the highest uh, take rates. I think it's around about one in five BMWs that, that are sold are M models here in Australia. So very very popular. So we must be one of like you know top five M markets. Globally. Yeah, we're we're constantly in the top three or four. Correct. Well, that, yep. you know that's amazing, and you yep. know when you consider the size of our market compared to some of the others, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I have to call my bias out. It's been a show of bias for me this show, Rusty. <laughs> talking about my love of nine elevens and talking about my hatred of Utes, and now I, I have to call out that I I am a former BMW M owner. My um my E ninety M threes um, left the fleet currently, but uh, maybe you can talk me into buying one of these new M2s, Brendan. Why should I buy one of these new M2s? Well, Mike, uh, the original generation, the first ever M2, was a very, very popular car, very uh, very dynamic, lots of power. This new generation now shares the same drivetrain, same platform as the new M3 and M4, which is uh, right now we cannot build enough to meet the demand at the moment. Everything there is shared, so we've got the new S58 engine. It'll be pumping out 338 kilowatts of power. We've still got a manual transmission on offer. For those that don't want the six-speed, there's also the eight-speed ZF, which is shared with the M3, M4s, M5s, M8s, which is a very, very popular gearbox. For the first time, we've also got a carbon fibre roof available on this new M2 as well. On the previous generation, it only came on the M2 CS, so we'd now have it on the standard series production model. And we also have uh, staggered wheels. We have 19s on the front, 20s on the rear, very similar to the M3 and M4. Uh, Brendan, Mike opened the batting here with 
you know, the importance of M in the Australian market, how our thirst for it, if you will. You've kept, as you just said there, the, the option of a manual gearbox, right? How important hooray, is that? Hooray. Yeah, Thank hooray. You. On with you too. How important is that to BMW fans in this part of the world? It's very important. Uh, we have a lot of M enthusiasts here in Australia and uh, events like that Motor Classica that we had in October, you're able to talk to them face to face. A lot of strong positive feedback that we've been able to maintain that. Don't know how much longer we'll still be able to offer manual transmissions in the in the worlds of plug-in hybrids and fully electric cars in the second half of this decade, but it's fantastic that in this current moment, we can still offer a manual transmission to our customers. This is a very traditional car in some ways in that, you know, it's a, it's a two-door coupe, it's traditional coupe shape, and fortunately, it's got a traditional BMW double kidney grill, not that shock and bloody thing you put on an M3, M4. Now, is that a vote? the fact that uh, you got that wrong or is it just me? No, I think the designers, I, I think they're trying to give every BMW its own unique look. Obviously, at the very start, it, we BMW shocked the world with that with that very large kidney grill on the M3 and M4. Took me a while to, to come across to it, but I absolutely love it now. It's got a frameless kidney grill and when you actually see it in the flesh, it's it's got a real razor sharp focused face on it now. It certainly is not hurting sales. No, it's not. And I think um, people should know that this car is an extremely capable car. It's even more capable than last car. And the last car won the Bathurst six-hour, and it won it going away at a pace. So this is, a again, you know, it's, it's the theme today, isn't it? You know, race car for the road. This one, a fair bit more comfortable than a GT3 RS and a hell of a lot cheaper. Yep. So, so pricing kicks off at 119900 for the new M2. Same price for the manual or automatic transmission. The car here in Australia will come come fully loaded, uh, carbon roof standard here in Australia. Uh, everything's on the car. The only thing that our customers would need to option here if they want to is those M carbon race bucket seats, which is available on the M3 and M4 as well. For yeah. those guys who want to, you know, not just for the road, those guys that want to do those track sessions, definitely those carbon fiber race bucking seats uh, are sensational. We're talking about some of those other um, BMW models, M models, and there is uh, one round the corner that's coming that's uh, the only the second unique M model. And we're talking about the, the big SUV. Can you just tell us a couple of tidbits about the XM? Yeah, so the XM will also go on sale early 2023, around about the same time as the new M2. Um, it's the first uh, M car with some type of electrification. So it uh, retains the same V8 as the M5s and M8s, um, but also has a plug-in hybrid system added to it. So currently our most powerful M car on offer to date, uh, 480 kilowatts. So uh, no, uh, no, no lacking in the power there for that car. And no doubt will be very popular here in Australia as well. Brendan, before we let you go, um, naturally in the wake of COVID and things like that, shipping and all that sort of stuff has been a challenge for everybody. What sort of allocation for M2 in, in our marketplace? Can you give us a sense of, because of the, the appetite for it among M lovers, I would imagine it'll go fairly quickly. Yes, I think uh, we will probably pick up a pretty strong order bank before the car even even lands here to go on sale here in Australia. I think if you look at the previous generation, we did about 2,700 units here in Australia, which is a which is a wow. massive number yep. for us here in Australia. And probably the best answer I could give you is right now, we'll, we'll be trying to secure as many out of Munich as possible. We've got no doubt that this one's probably potentially be our highest selling car in, in 2023 within our M range, no doubt. Well, the, uh, you know, the, the fact that you can find so many people that are absolutely committed to the brand and, and laying down that sort of money for, for what what's effectively a toy, a fun toy, I'll add, Mike. Yeah, absolutely a fun yeah. toy. 
we could chat about this for ages. Can we just say well done on the clever decision to give people a look at this at Motor Classic Gate? Fantastic uh, effort from BMW Australia to make that happen. Stay with us here on the showroom. Still lots of good things coming your way, including some news in relation to Korean utes to tackle the mighty Ranger and, and Hilux, plus some cool tech that the University of New South Wales has devised that is dual fuel, diesel and hydrogen. That's something really innovative. Yeah, we're no longer talking about LPG being dual fuel. And Rusty, I'm going to tell everyone why at car sales we tell you what is the best car. Stick around for that, plus the names we give our cars. Sinkers, can we bounce through some news? Our colleague, Fian Tor, has a piece on Hyundai and Kia's much talked about utes getting a bit closer. Yeah, look, if you look at those two fantastic brands, the one big hole they have in them, particularly for this marketplace, is uh, a dual cab ute. So whether they go directly to an electric dual cab, whether they come up with a diesel one, what we do know definitely is they're coming up with utes and their utes will be here sooner rather than later. And I think you'll see plenty of interest in those and they should be right at the top of their game based on the other vehicles they've been launching recently. Definitely. And I think the talk was around a kind of uh, mid-decade arrival. What about Bathurst, the Mustang supercar, which will take on the Camaro as part of the new Gen 3 regulations in in what we've known for a long time as the Australian Touring Car Championship, what we in the modern era call, call supercars. Dick Johnson, fittingly, the three-time Bathurst winner, was the first to turn the laps in this thing, and it looks damn good, doesn't it? Yeah, it was spectacular. It was, And, you know, it was fantastic to see DJ in that car. I mean, you know, he, he must have had a, a ball. I, I noticed they didn't show him trying to get into it because uh, <laughs> I don't know whether you've tried to get into one of those new supercars, but there's not a lot of room in them. Not a lot of room. He wasn't quite as talkative on the uh, the uh, in-car cameras and, and audio as he used to be in, back in the day either, was he? Yeah, but I was talking to a couple of people up there, and he was properly up it. He was he was not driving slowly. The old boy can still steer. So um, yeah, awesome looking car, and so much better than that naughty car we've seen running around for the last couple of years. Amazing, seventy seven years of age, I think he is now. University of New South Wales has come up with something that they they're keen to take to market. They've met with mining companies and investors. They want to go public. It is designed for a retrofit, but can offer a significant reduction in CO2 emissions. This is quite clever, isn't it? Yeah, this is really interesting. And I think we're going to see, you know, one of the things, and we we talk about that on our other podcast, What's Under the Bonnet, with the, you know, we've got that electric rollout of vehicles going right across the spectrum. But one of the things we are going to see is more than one solution for, for, you know, low emission motoring. And what we've got here is the university there's established running test motors on a mix of hydrogen and diesel, only only about 10% diesel, 90% hydrogen, which means that you have a commensurate, you know, drop in emissions, but CO2 emissions. So, you know, hydrogen can burn in a, a normal either spark or diesel ignition engine, and uh, we're going to see some interesting technology come out in that. Love the fact that it's being developed in our own backyard, so I reckon that's amazing. Alfa Romeo Hybrid, some pricing of uh, one of their models has, um, has come out too. Yeah, Tonale, um, I think that's how you say it. So it's a small, you know, compact SUV, about CX-5 sized. Price from, you know, not not far above 50. Good good brand, you know, good emotional brand, Alfa Romeo. We haven't driven the car yet. It will be interesting to see how, how it works. 
based on a shared platform with Jeep, should be a good stylish addition to their range and, uh, you know, in the sweet spot of what's selling. How come you didn't do that in an Italian accent for me? Um, because my Italian accent's almost as bad as yours. <laughs> Very good. Anthony Matafari, our mate, Matt. Speaking of Italians. Speaking of Italians, perfect segue. Surveyed our car sales members, our good people that are part of the, the tribe, the family, if you will, and it all coincided with International Name Your Car Day, which happens in October each year. So what names, you know, what percentage of people actually give their car a name? And he found that 57% of our members name their cars. Yeah, I, I, am I allowed to say shithead on this podcast? <laughs> oh, that's because terrible. that's what you can't. That's say what that. I called my car the last time it wouldn't start. I've got this wonderful little, uh, you know, it was my mum's car originally. This antique yes. BMW three one eight i, but it does not like starting cold, and it gets called all sorts of things, but it doesn't have a proper name. Right, twenty eight percent of those that were surveyed drive a white car. So people that drive a white car, if you're in traffic now and you're looking around, they're most likely to give their car a name. And I think we had some other um, some research that suggested that people that white cars are 28% more likely to be a psychopath. So, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, you, you've got enough imagination to name your car, but you can't pick a colour. Cue the psycho music. Uh, 12% of Toyota owners do it, 11% of Ford owners do it, only 2% of Porsche owners name their cars. No surprises there. What do you reckon the most popular names were? I don't know. I, I just refuse to read this. You tell me. In the standard names you might pick for the birth of a child, Gary, Jack <laughs> and Betty were up there. What about those that have, you know, been born out of popular culture? Come on, pick a couple of, uh, oh. of comic characters or something. What, oh, what, I don't what know. springs to mind? Maverick? No. What, what about know. What about... Obi-Wan, oh, God. Papa Smurf, <laughs> and Mr. Squiggle got a run too. Mr. Squiggle. <laughs> oh, dear me. I, the mind boggles. I can't imagine what you'd call your car, Mr. Squiggle. Okay. Uh, for all the latest news, you've got to make carsales.com.au your go-to. You can follow us on socials as well, and we'll have more news in the next step of the podcast here on the show. Remember, still lots of good stuff to come in this show. Classified eye catcher this month is exactly that. This is something super rare, sinkers, and at the very pointy end of the offering on the car sales website, isn't it? Absolutely, and I'm always on the lookout for cars for um, you know for high net worth individuals like yourself, Rusty. And this one, <laughs> this one came up uh, on the uh, on the search. It's a 1961 Mercedes Benz 300 SL. Roadster with the handy price tag of about two point six million. It is currently the most expensive car on car sales, but I would argue it's also the best looking car on car sales right now. It screams sort of like Princess Grace Monaco or something along that that sort of sixties movie era. Just a beautiful looking thing. Entrusted to sell the car is Dutton Garage, and we thought we would get Jeff Dutton on. It is a stunning car, Jeff. It's a beautiful grey colour, beautiful grey colour. It's a convertible. It's very swoopy, very low but um, and long, but but cl- almost those those classic 50s and 60s styling that, that – uh, and, and then some, some aspects of it that still, you know, Mercedes are using today, so that big three-point style. Oh, yes, there's a lot of uh, retro style going back uh, to the new, the new models. You'll see a lot of the um, same grille and all that sort of thing. Yeah, they're very – Reminiscent of the of the early cars. 
a little short note is that uh, I owned one of these back in 1986 and I paid $80,000 for it. So. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then I had another one after that. I had a white one after that, and I paid 120 for that. But, uh, this shows you how how they've uh, grown in uh, desirability and price. It's a late car. It's a late SL uh, 300 SL Roadster. It's uh, it's a disc brake car. It's getting near the end of the production. As you probably know, the, um, the Gullwing started in 1953 or 54, and then in 1957 the Roadster came out, which is this one, and the 300 SL, 300 is the size of the engine, three litre, and the uh, SL stands for super light, so hence the name 300 SL. So it's powered by an inline six, and it's got some particular mechanical properties that make it uh, unique. Yes, well, it was the first production fuel-injected car in the world. Uh, They were a single overhead cam, three litre engine. And you might note when you look under the bonnet at one, it's, it looks like it's lying on its side. And they did this to lower the, uh, the bonnet height and the height of the engine because it was quite a tall engine. And they tipped it on its side and then they put a dry sump on it so to even get it lower. So it's basically a racing car on the road. And at the time, it was a supercar of its day. I mean, in terms of that sort of statistic that you're going with there, I mean, I think it held the crown at one point for fastest performance car in the world at one stage, didn't it? Yes, yeah, it was what was 145, uh, 145 miles an hour at the at the time it was uh, very fast, 200 and, you know, nearly 240 k's an hour back in uh, in 1957 to 61. And we talk, you know, in racing cars of that era, you talk space frame chassis and so on. That that I'm right in saying, am I right in saying that it it, it had a sort of ahead of its time space frame chassis, didn't it? Yes, it's 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 quite a unique. Um, very expensive car to produce. It's all tube. If you look under the bonnet and look through in the firewall, it's all tubes running everywhere. It's a real tubular chassis. Thank you very, very much for coming on and telling us about this uh, this amazing machine today. And um, we look forward to catching up with you in future episodes of the showroom because I have no doubt there'll be something else very special coming your way um, in, in the months ahead. Yeah, thanks, Rusty. Good on you, Jeff. I think it's recently, fittingly, in conjunction with World EV Day, we announced that um, Tesla Model 3 had won the the car sales best electric car of 2022. Yeah, an exceptional vehicle. I mean, Tesla has its, I guess, detractors, but also has its fans. The fanboys are just, you can't tell them anything. (laughs) Bottom line, that vehicle's a great choice, really good value and uh, delivering all the sorts of things that you'd expect from a really high-quality electric vehicle. I mean, one of the reasons we do bests generally is that we certainly have car of the year and that's our biggest award of the year, but bests are a great way that we can look deeply into each segment, each of those key popular segments that consumers, you know, shop in and give them absolutely our first choice, but also a shopping list, uh, you know, a top five from which they can start to really narrow the field down. You know, we're telling you which we think's the best, but some of those might suit you better, so... Great way for people to go on the website and have a look at that short list that they may need. I love it. While we're on the whole topic of, of gongs here, maybe we can get a sense of the contenders for this one. Coming up, best dual cab 4x4 Ute Award. That's not too far away. So to cover that here on the showroom and to kind of outline the difficult job in narrowing down uh, the winner, we are joined by our, our colleague and good buddy, Scott Newman. Hello, mate. How are you? G'day, Sinkers. G'day, Rusty. How is everything? 
How is this process going to go? Because Sink has talked about it. He had an unpopular opinion earlier in the episode about the Aussie obsession uh, with these utes. There's a lot of good ones to choose from. This is not straightforward or simple, is it? It's not at all with utes because they're such a versatile category. They've got to do everything. They've got to go on-road, off-road, carry the family, carry, you know, the yard clippings, tow a trailer. Not as many families as they, sh- they say they should be, though. <laughs> Still not a family car. Sinkers, get off your soapbox. Uh, <laughs> of all the best awards we do, this has to have the uh, the most criteria, the most different categories that we cover. So it was a fairly exhaustive and exhausting week covering off these utes, but uh, we limited it to mid-sizes, Seven bestsellers, all with a four-cylinder engine, so no new fancy Ranger V6, automatic transmission, and around the $60,000 mark. But it is a fairly varied field, so we did have some range toppers of some of the cheaper utes. So uh, we started with, obviously, the new Ford Ranger. That was almost the catalyst for this test. It's one of the biggest vehicle reveals of the year. So we have the Ford Ranger XLT 2-litre. We have... The GWM Ute Canon X, that's one of those outliers I mentioned earlier. Obviously, it's a lot cheaper thanks to its sharper price point. So we had the range topper there. We had the Isuzu D-Max and the Mazda BT50. I mentioned them together because they're pretty much twins under the skin, slightly different styling, slightly different spec, but um, very, very similar underneath. Mitsubishi Triton GSR, again, range topper because it's slightly cheaper. Nissan Navara Pro 4X, not the Warrior which uh, was done by Premcar, just the normal Pro 4X, and the Toyota Hilux SR5. So obviously that's the, the big player in this segment, the, the biggest seller, though the Ranger is starting to muscle in. So it's not only are we looking at the best utes, but we're pretty much looking at choosing from some of the best-selling vehicles in the country for uh, whether uh, my opinion counts or not. They're, um, they're certainly you know hugely important from a manufacturer point of view and hugely important from a shopping point of view. Absolutely. Uh, and to test them, we cover off all the criteria that are common to a lot of a lot of our best awards, so comfort and convenience, technology, safety, value for money, on-road performance, obviously, but the two that are really dual cab specific are your off-road performance and also the towing and payload. So payload, we loaded them up with 400 kilograms of soil, I think, which is still outside one of our colleagues' <laughs> houses, also uh, four, four occupants as well. So we loaded up, it's about 600 kilos. And then for towing, uh, our good friend Chris Fincham, colleague, organised a lovely caravan for us, 2,600 kilogram caravan, which he actually stayed in for a couple of nights on test. So that's true thorough testing. Real commitment. He um, said it was a bit chilly, but that's okay. Yeah, to test the uh, towing. So we had um, urban environment, highway environment, so we really did try and put these things through the ringer. It is an absolutely comprehensive test and, you know, uh, when uh, when we can announce the winner, I'm sure you can talk to a little bit more about some of the other things you did. But I guess that is the challenge here when we're comparing these sorts of vehicles is really making sure that we're going right through the use normal use cases of these vehicles and, and giving people consumers are a really good idea of what they should be buying and why.
what is offered in the cabin, the creature comforts for the passengers because of this obsession um, that, that we sort of have. That, that side of it keeps getting better and I would imagine that's a part of your, your observations and testing process too, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, if you so if we sort of did dual cab 2012, you know, a, a decade ago compared to today, they're much more competitive offerings mm. now. I mean, Sinkers is right. I share his views in a certain respect, but equally... They're far more amenable, they're far more comfortable, they're far more safe is the big thing. You know, all the utes now, I mean, the D-Max sort of started it, really mm. raised the uh, raised the stakes in terms of that active safety offering, AEB, lane keep assist, blind spot monitoring, especially in vehicles like this, blind spot monitoring, rear cross-traffic alert where you can't really see out the, at the back. Yeah, D- D-Max is also centre airbag, which is one of the first things, first centre airbags in the in the business, really. Fittingly. For this conversation, Scott is coming to us from inside a car. You're a proud dad. What have you done? Escape baby noise and you're uh, sitting in the car, are you, mate? Yeah, that's right. Finn's um, just getting ready for his midday nap, so he's a bit, uh, <laughs> bit cranky at the moment. So um, sounds a bit like yeah. sounds a bit like Rusty to me. Yeah. Oh, harsh, <laughs> harsh. He was pretty cranky so before we'll, Scott. We'll leave. Uh, we'll leave Finn's um, thoughts on best dual cab for perhaps the reveal podcast. Cool. We look forward to hearing yours uh, in all sincerity. Good luck with that. I, I want to hear the camping cook stories on, a, on another episode. That'll be quite <laughs> quite funny in the caravan. I know this will be a popular one that our, our listeners will enjoy. So thank you for talking to us today, mate. Not at all. Pleasure. Just about out of time on this episode. Got to dim the lights on this episode of the showroom. Chrome and pot plants all looking good. Turntables still spinning. What Mike Sinclair is coming up on your test drive list this month? We're going to actually be driving the very best cars of 2022 all together as part of the Car Sales 2022 Car of the Year, proudly brought to you by Bingle. How good. That's actually a massive thing on the calendar every year for the company, isn't it? It is absolutely, Rusty. And, and you know, and it's an, a massive thing for the industry as well. You know, we've gone through all the cars, the ones that match our criteria, and then established a shortlist. That shortlist isn't all that short. It's still, you know, 30-odd <laughs> cars. Um, but then we get the top 10 plus two wild cards together. And by the time we do the next um, podcast, and you'll be able to find out who won. Tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Um, you can make the car sales website you go to for all the latest news as well if you're buying new or used. And if you're selling as well, it's the only place to go. Uh, and we might, if you can, give us a little follow on social media where we'll um, have a bit of fun along the way with some of the stuff we've been talking about today. On behalf of Sinkers and the team, we're about to hit the road. We will catch you next time. Bye for now. A listener production.